So imagine with me, uh, you're hanging out on a beach on Wednesday night. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Like the, the sun's setting and the light is hitting off the Pacific Ocean. Uh, your kids are complaining that it's a little bit cold. Um, it's just hypothetical. It's not real. I mean, I'm pretending. Of course this wouldn't happen. And you're watching the sunset over the Pacific Ocean, right? And there's like people running around on the beach just as the sun goes down. There's shadows casting out over the ocean. Dogs running around. And you have a feeling that it's like, ah, this is the way the world was meant to be. Like, like you're meant to be by the ocean. If you ask me, that's where all humans were always supposed to live on a beach somewhere. Um, some of you would disagree with that, but that's okay. We love you too. That, uh, but it was like, this is the way the world's supposed to be. It was incredible, right? And some of you even got that photo to say, this is the way the world's supposed to be. And then on Thursday, it rained. So our family came back from uh, California a little bit early, earlier than we planned, because there's only so much fun you can have in a hotel room in the rain with three kids. And so we decided that we would drive back. And as we came back, that was right when all the news started hitting that the U.S. government was going to respond in a way similar to other countries in looking to shut down and decrease other people's exposure to COVID-19. Very much a realization that the world is not the way it's intended to be. And so I have to admit, I did very little research prior to that night. Uh, But that night leading into the next day, there was tons of research being done, looking and trying to figure out, all right, what's real news? What's fake news? What's the hype and what's actually legitimate concern? And I still don't know that I know the answer. Like, I have to look at the same news resources some of you do, and I can have two doctors telling me two different things, two nurses telling me two different things, two moms who use essential oils telling me two totally different things about this. Because they're all on the same level, in case you didn't know. But... I did realize that no matter how we perceive the risk, the concern, how much it settles in us, that life is about to change. And so for us to ask the question, uh, what does the world need from us as we live out these next few weeks and months in a world that's changed by sickness in a way that it hasn't been for a really, really long time or ever in our lives? And that's part of the reason why I wanted to get together, because I think there's something that we need to look at that's good news for us, then how do we respond to that for others? And so I'm thinking through a story. I want us to go to John or Luke 8. If you have a Bible, Luke 8, it is not going to be on the screen. But I'm going to read this story. It's a short one. But I think it helps to answer some of the questions of what do we need internally as we look at these next few weeks and months? What do we need internally? But this story, John 8, starts in verse 22. If you want to, you can feel free to close your eyes and just hear it as a story as I read it. Imagine with me, you're one of the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, the followers that walked everywhere with him, these 12 young men, probably 18 and under, who had said goodbye to their previous lives in order to risk it all to follow this rabbi who is announcing good news, the kingdom of God is here. Good news, finally and fully, uh, the, the kingdom that they've been waiting for was breaking in and everything was changing. And they said, man, I want to live like this guy does. I want to learn what he has to teach. I want to love what he loves. I want to be able to do the work that he does. And so they're following after him. And in the day in and day out, they're doing that. And it gets pretty exhausting, I would imagine. And so they've been following Jesus for a little while. Sorry, it's Luke 8. This is John 8. Oh, that just says Luke. We're good. All right, Luke 8, uh, verse 22. They're tired in a boat 
along with Jesus. And so it says, one day Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Um, this isn't like Roosevelt Lake or something where you can just see across and you're like, well, we could hike across that. if we like." It's, it's, it's a big deal. It's kind of more like an ocean for us. You can't see the other side of it. He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he, uh, that's Jesus, fell asleep. And you got to love that guy, right? Yeah, let's go to the other side of the lake. And who doesn't pick up an oar? Who's the only guy who passes out, right? Jesus, the guy whose idea it was. And so he fell asleep. A squall came on the lake. A quick storm came up on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Pause there real quick. I think sometimes we think that, oh, in this story, they felt like maybe something could go wrong, but there was no real danger. Uh, Luke, as he's writing down his carefully crafted account of the gospel, says, yep, they were in danger. Like the water was coming over the edges of the boat. And if boat gets in the water, even those of you that aren't nautically minded, what happens? It sinks. Thank you, Kenzie. The rest of you are like, is this another trick question? Is the answer Jesus? No. The boat sinks. And so they're in real danger. There's a real situation that really threatens them. Keep reading. The disciples went and woke him, being Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Uh, he, Jesus, got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked each other, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to read that story again without my little commentary in the middle. And I, and I want you to go into the boat with the disciples. We said in Lent this year, we're going to put ourselves in the place of those that Jesus is speaking to. We are not Jesus, but we respond as Jesus speaks to us. And so put yourself in the place of those disciples. And, and I want to ask us just a few questions, uh, most of which you'll answer on your own. And I'll just give you space to think. That's the beauty of not being crammed next to each other is you've got some space. You've got some room. Parents, it might be the last time for a few weeks that you have those gifts. So take them. But think through these questions I'm going to ask after I read this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Think through for yourself. What, what comes to mind as you think of this story? What part of it sticks out to you? Is there a line from Jesus, a feeling identifying with the disciples? Maybe it could be, Jesus, you've invited me out on this journey, and now it's really, really dangerous, and I feel scared. Uh, maybe it's, Jesus, I'm in a dangerous place, and I'm not sure what to do next. Jesus, I feel like I need to get your attention, but you're passed out, and you're not paying attention. Maybe it's the feeling of the waters raging. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat 
in a storm. It is terrifying. Because in that moment, you realize there is very little that you can actually do to preserve your life. Little bitty boat, great big body of water, that's storm surging everywhere. What sticks out to you? It says that the disciples felt fear. They knew they were in great danger. Crying out, we're going to drown. This is a little bit of a tricky question for you. And I want you to turn towards each other and try answering it. What does fear feel like? Uh, one of the most fun ex- experiments you can do is ask people like, what is love? And then you listen to them try to explain what love is without using the word. It's a great fun thing to do. Uh, let me ask this question and I'll have you turn to each other. What does fear feel like to you? And you can't use the word afraid or fear. You're allowed to try to explain emotions that you get and how your body responds when you're, when you're feeling fear. But, but what does fear feel like to you? And all of us fear, feel fear. That's actually a good thing. We're wired that way. Danger's coming. You should feel afraid. That, that's a good thing. So uh, turn towards each other. What does fear... I know naming and describing emotions is not something that is often uh, maybe as much of our practice as it should be. I think it's something that we can all probably all grow in is realizing those things. How do, we, how do we experience the world? What are the emotions that come up with that? And I bring up fear because there are a lot of terrifying things happening in the world right now, not the least of which the fact that we are medically and even uh, by our government being asked not to gather right now for the safety of other people. Like that's a terrifying thing that that's the world we live in. It's terrifying to think of how other people are gonna look to capitalize on this situation for their own advantage. That crime won't stop and our first responders are going to be put in harm's way double times over because other people because other people are going to choose to act in ways that put them in even greater risk. Uh, that people's whole entire retirements are going to be at risk as the stock market kind of goes back and forth. That others are going to need other procedures at hospitals, go in for one thing, come out with something else. There is a myriad of things that are absolutely terrifying in this world. And it, it can feel like the water is coming over the edges. And it might be not even anything. You're like, man, this COVID-19 thing, that's a thing. But here's something else that I feel more fearful of. And it's way more at the surface for me. And so I would just ask, even internally, what is it that, that, that's bringing up that feeling, that, that fear that you just said? This is what fear feels like. What is it in your life right now that's bringing that up for you? Job insecurity, something in your marriage, something as you look for a spouse, something as you look at your finances, as you look at your health, as you look at in-law situations, as you look at your parents or your kids, or that diagnosis that you have that's just kind of hanging in the back that you're afraid to fully bring into the light because of everything going on. Here's what I want to speak as good news that we need to absolutely believe in these moments. One, that Jesus is very much in that boat with us. He is present with us. When you think of what's the antidote to our worry, one of the key elements of that is that Jesus is present with you. Like he doesn't just give you something, but he gives you himself. He doesn't just say, hey, here's here's some facts to recite. Whenever you feel this way, remember those four G's Kevin taught? Just write those out and they'll make you feel better. But he actually gives himself to us and is present in those moments. What if our feelings of fear and worry and concern drove us to say, Jesus, I know you're here. I need you. 
And the beauty is we need to remember these words that the wind and the waves obey his voice. I hear this, that this disease, as awful as it is, is not more powerful than the Jesus who rose from the dead. This disease, as powerful as it may be, with all the devastation it could cause, is not operating in a stronger way than the God who rules this universe. And I know that's hard to wrestle with. And we can't undo all those questions right now, though we should have a lot of time in the near future to think about them. But hear this, undoubtedly and with absolute clarity, Jesus is present and he is powerful. We need to remember those two things from this story. One of the questions that got asked was, well, what if I get COVID-19? Like, what happens to the church then? And here's what I want to say to you. Absolutely. We will absolutely still love you. We will not shame you. Uh, We will do our best of our abilities to care for you and your family. That's what the church does in moments like this. Love is far stronger than a disease strand. But can we remember that he's present and he's powerful? In the boat with us. A question that I love you to jot down and maybe ask as you go throughout your week. How does knowing Jesus is present give me calm in the storm I'm facing? Like knowing that Jesus faced the ultimate storm of the cross and then rose again in the resurrection, bringing new creation. How does that give me calm in the storm that I'm in right now? Having time to reflect on that will be absolutely beautiful for you. But again, we we believe good news. We're told good news, but that should shape the way that we then live in the world we're sent to. And so here's just three things that I think for us as we look at how do we live in the next few weeks? What does the world need from Missio Mesa? What does Mesa Gilbert need from us? I don't think that it needs another funny Twitter post. I don't think it needs more memes. I don't think it needs another hot take that this is what I need in 20 seconds or less. This is what all the problems of all these people or this is exactly what the government's trying to do here or here's what the fakeness of this is or here's the reality. It doesn't need another infograph though those are all can be helpful, I guess. But what does it need from the people of God? I think it's fair to say that it needs, needs people who are committed to living in a different story with a different savior who press in when others pull away. It needs people who are committed to living in a different story with a different savior and they press in when others pull away. And so what does that mean for us this season? Be the hands of Jesus first. Uh, Look, what are ways that I can tangibly serve others in these moments? Like, how can I be a part of the solution to the problems of others? And, that, and be, please be the washed hands of Jesus. Like, we can be smart, too. But how can I be the hands? What are the needs in my community that are now popping up that I can be an answer to? If it's as simple as a roll of toilet paper, feel free to give that gift to somebody else who needs it. Because that will be there. Because apparently we thought toilet paper was what the end of the world was going to be. God bless America. But what is that? What does it look like for us to be generous when others become selfish? Because we have a God who is generous and gave all of himself so that we could have something. 
I'd encourage you, ask the questions. Look out and say, how do we, what are the needs that are popping up that we can meet? What are the unique ways? Have these conversations around your dining room table, your living room, as you drive. What can we be doing that would actually be helpful to others? Uh, one way is that, just to be honest, like for Missio Mesa, we're already getting asked, hey, my job hours got cut and I won't have enough for rent. Can you help me? And it's March 15th. But looking ahead, I already know there's no way I meet April because they're not going to give me more work. And people aren't looking to hire brand new hires right now. What do I do? If it's in your budget to be more generous now, I would encourage that. Let's be more generous so that we can meet the needs of others in our community who are being directly affected by this. A second thing, uh, be the hands of Jesus. Also be the voice of Jesus. And here's what I mean. When you, when you hear others heightening things and trying to get everybody really hyped, either against this or for this, and trying to stir up fear, what if we were people who spoke good news? Well, like we actually spoke into that. Here's where my hope is. It's not in this president or this person or this doctor, as helpful or unhelpful as they all may be. But let me tell you a story about why my hope is in Jesus. To actually speak good news. Oh, I feel afraid too. And when I feel afraid, here's what I do. And talk about how we remind ourselves of the presence of Jesus and the power that he has. Actually pray for one another. Like, like out loud, using words, praying over each other. We've got nurses in the crew. We've got others who have had hours cut. We've got others that have had, lost their jobs. We have people who are most likely in, in our spread. Somebody's going to get sick or somebody else that we know really well. Just because we take communion or we gather in a space doesn't mean, oh, Jesus won't let anybody that's a Christian get sick. That's not true. And you don't read your Bible very well. But it's often how we endure through sickness and continue to love. What does that look like for us to be those who intercede for each other in prayer? Verbally, out loud. To be the hands of Jesus, be the voice of Jesus. And I even encourage you, be the, be the feet of Jesus, walking into places and maybe making new relationships. If you have, know you have an, a neighbor who's more at risk than others. And so wanting to love our neighbors and say, man, the beauty is that we don't have to gather on Sundays to be the church. Like we have more than anyone should know we can be scattered to be the church and it's beautiful. But being the feet of Jesus saying, let's go and maybe talk to a neighbor and say, hey, here's my number. Here's my name. If you need me to go to the store for you, I would love to do that. Being proactive in approaching others and offering hospitality in different ways. It might not be, hey, come into my house because people are trying to stay in their own homes. But if it can be a neighbor that would go to the store and come back for them and has thought of them enough to say, hey, I would love to do that for you. Going a distance that maybe you can't. Because right now with the gifts God's given me and the health he's given me, I can. And I, and I use those very simple words because of eyes, of hands, of feet, of voice. Because we are literally commissioned as the body of Jesus. That's what we are in the world. We are meant, and that's not just a metaphor, we are meant to be those through whom which the world can see on display the love of Jesus. And moments like this are what catalyze the church's reputation in times past. And so in our moment that we have, in this particular space at this time, we have to ask, how can we live faithfully in this story, in loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbors? And the answers may vary. 
from family to family, from person to person, from apartment to apartment. And that's okay. Ask the Spirit. Follow where He leads you. And don't feel shame if He leads two people two different directions. The last thing I'd encourage you with, and then we're going to come to the table, is this. Uh, Make it a point to look for the hidden gifts, the hidden gifts that come with disrupted rhythms. So all of our lives are about to be disrupted. Some of you have a whole lot more free time now than you had before because your job got stopped. What gift does that bring? It brings stress, yes, but what gift does it bring? For some of you as parents, you're about to get a lot more time with your kids or caregivers, a lot more time with your kids than you planned on. And that feels like a curse straight out of Genesis 3. But the reality is that even within that, there's a kernel of good news. What does this look like to be a gift now that I get more time to spend? How can I use that in the disrupted rhythm of always having to wash my hands? What would it look like if I put prayers on the mirror that took as long to pray as it does to wash your hands rather than seeing row, row, row your boat or whatever we're supposed to do to pray this prayer? And as I do that every single day, that's enough time. As I walk in my house, walk out of my house, touch my nose, which anybody else realize how often you touch your face after being told not to? Isn't that ridiculous? If you would have asked me like a week ago, do you touch your face? I'm like, no. Ask me this week. I'm like, yes. Um, But what is a rhythm that can go with that? That's a disrupted rhythm. What's a gift? Oh, I have to go back and look in this mirror that's over top of the sink. What if I prayed these prayers? I would love to hear the creativity that comes out of our missional communities as we think of, oh, I've got more free time. What if we, and we're not supposed to be face-to-face, maybe with a certain person. What does it look like for us to start writing cards and mailing them off? But what if we wrote encouraging letters down to people, two, three lines, and sent them to each other? Realizing that even, yes, things are different, but often difference can breed a ton of creativity and unexpected gifts that come even in the midst of the hardship. And I think that we would be remiss if we missed that part of it, that yes, life is about to change. You're about to be disrupted. But what good can come out of that? And I think the degree to which we can answer that with creativity will also be part of how the Spirit wants to use us in this place to be people who embody good news, not just announce it. And so like, those, are, those are just a few things for us that I think would be incredible if we looked at it. Let's be intentional about being the voice of Jesus Speaking calm and peace and good news. Sharing our own fears and failings, but then also the good news that meets us where we're at. We don't have to be braver than we are, and we don't have to pretend to be more scared than we are, but we can pretend to be just as dependent on Jesus as we actually are, and to let our neighbors know that. Looking for ways to bless other people looking for ways that we can be the initiators when we can tell that others are feeling fearful. And then constantly asking ourselves, what are the gifts that come out of this circumstance that now seem so difficult? And as we do those four things, I think there could be real beauty that comes out of this common struggle that we now have with all of our neighbors. And there's a beauty in that. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for being present with us, that we don't just wishfully think and hope and dream that maybe you would come to be near us, but your life on earth, your death, your resurrection, your sending of the Spirit remind us that you are absolutely here with us, and that though we face suffering and hardship and pain right now, and that's all real, that you experience all that present with us and give us a hope in the future that one day those things will be no more that we can endure right now because we know one day you wipe this 
all off the earth when you make all things new. So would you allow us to be people, God, who remember this to be true. You are present. You are powerful. And you've placed us in this moment of time to be your hands, your feet, your voice. We love you. We're grateful for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.